May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Honestly, what is baptism anyway? Okay, well, okay, we know what it is, but what does it do? And if Jesus is the Son of God the Father, why does he have to get baptized? How much water is enough? How much water is too much? One of the privileges of being in full-time ministry is I get to ask questions that no one else is asking. Sometimes I even get to answer them. Maybe this morning will be one of those occasions. I guess let's find out together. So it seems to me that, particularly in traditions that baptize children, we don't think very much about baptism because it happened before we were able to be part of the decision-making process. Our parents or maybe our grandparents thought it was something that needed to get taken care of, and so it was. But baptism is, of course, more than just another rite of passage into church membership. It has biblical warrant and deep scriptural foundations and we need to understand what we have gotten ourselves and possibly our children into. You'll remember, of course, John the Baptizer from his earlier appearances in Advent, out in the wilderness, ranting and raving, causing people to come to him to get baptized for repentance. And those warnings of judgment were not unnoticed by the authorities of the time. Herod Antipas whose father, Herod the Great, had been king when Jesus was born, uh, gets to focus a little bit on John. Herod's, as most kings are, are not super fond of outspoken critics, and John was not anything if he was not an outspoken critic. John uh, was preaching in the desert and apparently caught the attention of Herod because of his criticism of Herod's wife to Herodias who had previously been the wife of his brother, Herod II. Herodias hated John and had his head taken off and used as a party favor. But compared with this morning's Real Housewives of Royal Palestine, <laughs> baptismal theology should be a real slam dunk. So, you know, take your vitamins, they'll be good for you. But before his imprisonment and his execution, John was doing what he did best preaching and baptizing sinners in the Jordan River. And Jesus came to be baptized too. And when it was done and Jesus was praying, the heavens were opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form and a voice from heaven heard that said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Those three infinitive clauses are set in parallel to each other. The heavens opened, the spirit descended, and a voice came from heaven. The voice and the spirit affirm Jesus' identity. They tell us exactly who he is and how God feels about him. And they set the stage for all of the life and ministry that follows. <coughs> Divine mystery is being revealed to us in this moment. If we listen carefully, we hear in the words spoken from heaven echoes of the Old Testament prophets and of the Psalms. But here, Jesus has been anointed by the Spirit and commissioned as God's agent of redemption in this baptism. And the voice, I think, speaks more for us than for him. Now, for some of us, baptism might just be a rite of passage, a box to check, something that you do while a child is small, 
was a chance to take cute pictures of a baby in a white gown that grandma wore when she got baptized. That may not be a problem in the Pacific Northwest quite as much as it is other places. That might be a very specific problem that I'm more familiar with than you are. Don't worry, I'm going to do a fun accent later. Uh, But it should not be that for us. Baptism means so much more. So with that baptism of Jesus in the Jordan in our background, I want to take a deeper dive, if you will, into the three great themes of baptism. These are not the only three themes, but it's a good place to start. I'm glad everybody's enjoying the start of the sermon, because boy, it's about to get a little dry. That's okay. Anyway, I shouldn't say that. It's going to be exciting. Baptism's never dry. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. I'm getting getting old right before your eyes. Uh, All right, let's get steer steer back to the center of the road. Okay, so first, first first thing, I never do three-point sermons, and this is a three-point sermon, so stick with me. So the first thing, baptism unites us to Christ in his death and resurrection. So in Romans, Paul is quoting an early baptismal creed in chapter 10, and he says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Throughout the New Testament, baptism is described in this way, is happening in the name of Jesus Christ, which is meant to imply that those who are being baptized are brought under the lordship of Jesus. If your children are out playing and one of them starts to misbehave and they run inside and try to get your permission to discipline their little brother or sister, they come back and they say, mom said stop. That's acting on the authority of mom, the supreme authority in that case. But so when you act, you do something in the name of the king or of a ruler. It's clear that that's the power and influence that backs you up. So baptism is about Jesus. Baptism is union with Christ in his death to sin, his resurrection to new life. And because Christ defeated sin and death, so can we. As Paul says in Romans 6, we are dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And because we have been baptized, we are commissioned to go out into the world on the loose, sharing the grace of God. That union means that we are victorious over sin and death. We're not subject to sin and death anymore. We say something like this each week in the Nicene Creed. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. So that now, baptism means that we are brought into the victorious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's one of the reasons why the cross, which was universally a symbol of defeat and suffering and evil, has become for us a symbol of Christ's triumph and our freedom. Because we have been baptized, we are brought into his victorious death and resurrection. So that's the first thing. We're united with Jesus. Second, baptism is the beginning of a whole new life for us, empowered by the Holy Spirit and made members of Christ's body, the church. So here we can go back to what Luke talks about happening in the Jordan River. The story, I think, is not just a story. It tells us something very important about the nature of Jesus's life and ministry. It's not an accident that John baptizes Jesus in the same river that the children of Israel crossed over when they entered the promised land after the exodus out of Egypt. And after spending 40 days in the wilderness, 
symbolic of Israel's 40 years of wandering in the desert, Jesus will call 12 disciples, one disciple for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. In all of this, we are being told that in the life of Jesus Christ, God is restarting a relationship with Israel. He intends to have his people enter the promised land anew. And Jesus' baptism is symbolic of a whole new kind of relationship between God and his people. We know this because when Jesus comes up out of the water, two things happen that affirm his messiahship. First, there's the descent of the Holy Spirit. And second, there's the spoken word of the voice of God. In our baptism, we are similarly anointed by the Holy Spirit and claimed as daughters and sons of God. That's why in our Anglican baptismal liturgy, we mark the forehead of the baptized with holy oil in the shape of the cross. The oil is a reminder that we have actually been given the gift of the Holy Spirit and marked as God's child forever in baptism. Now, that's not an easy mark to watch off, no matter how hard some of us might try. Certainly, some people live through some effort of their own as if they were never baptized, like it didn't take. And there's nothing that we can do in baptism that can prevent that, right? But we do believe that this is actually a moment when human beings are brought into the fullness of God's love with the approval of the Father in the name of the Son, in the sealing of the Spirit, we are transferred into the church. It's a powerful moment, and it's endorsed by Christ in the gospel for our good. Third, baptism leads us to forgiveness and redemption. Now, this is probably the baptismal truth that Protestants wrestle with the most, right? Because we're traditionally committed to those three solas, those standalone doctrines that the leaders of the Reformation were so fired up about. Grace alone, faith alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Write it on a piece of paper, nail it to a door. Those five doctrines are foundational to our faith. But I think that if we believe in those things, we have to see that the grace of God is given to us in baptism. And it is indeed to God's glory and the benefit of our souls. Throughout the New Testament, baptism is very strongly connected to forgiveness and redemption. Baptism is not forgiveness and redemption, but the two come very, very closely together. Start with Peter's speech to the crowd in Acts 2 at Pentecost, where he says, Repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then in the letter to Titus, Paul says, He saved us because of his mercy through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. And then again in Peter's first letter, Baptism now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. Baptism saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I could go on like this for a while. We could cite a lot more evidence if we needed to. So baptism is not redemption itself, but the two come close together. It's almost impossible to find one without the other in the New Testament. Now certainly, I want to hold out the possibility that you can be saved by grace without being baptized. You can know Christ as Lord and Savior without baptism itself. But there is no danger, 
and no reason not to be baptized if it's possible. Because those who come with faithful and genuine hearts, seeking to know Christ and be known by him, will meet him in the water. We can trust that baptism is a way that God acts. It's the means that God uses to redeem us and to seal our salvation. So then there are these three big themes right there together. Union with Christ, the beginning of a new life, and redemption from our sins all point us back to a deeper truth that baptism is itself a portal of grace through which God is acting to bless people and to call them into relationship with God's self. There is a great baptism scene in one of my favorite films, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? I'm not going to spoil it for you because, of course, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? is a satire loosely based on the Odyssey by Homer, and you've all read that recently, I'm sure. Uh, The difference being that it's set in Great Depression-era Mississippi. If you haven't seen it, it came out like 20 years ago. I'm going to try not to spoil it, but get on it, please. Um, So there are these three escaped prisoners hiding out, trying to figure out what to do next as they're running away from a crooked warden. And they're near a riverbank when suddenly this crowd of people dressed in white appears, singing and walking towards the water. They're going down to be baptized in a place where the water is actually warm enough that it wouldn't be, you know, risky. So Delmar, of course, one of the convicts is named Delmar, uh, is so taken by this vision that while his friends are scoffing, he jumps up and runs to the river. He jumps ahead in the line to be dunked himself by the pastor. And when he comes up, he's sputtering a little bit, but he's been baptized all the same. He comes back to tell his friends what has happened to him. And I think inadvertently he nails all three of these big themes. I want you to listen and see if you can pick them out. I mean, this isn't hard for me. This is, it's harder for me to talk normal than to do this. Well, that's it, boys. I've been redeemed. The preacher's done washed away all my sins and transgressions. It's the straight and narrow from here on out. And heaven everlasting's my reward. Delmar, what are you talking about? We've got bigger fish to fry. The preacher says, all my sins is washed away, including that Piggly Wiggly I knocked over in Yazoo. You guys don't know about the Piggly Wiggly. (laughs) I I thought you said you were innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. And the preacher says, that sin's been washed away too. Neither God nor man's got nothing on me now. Delmar's right. Baptism really is that powerful. There are no bigger fish to fry. And Jesus went down to the Jordan to be baptized by John, not because he needed to be saved from his sins, but because we need to be saved from ours, to be an example that we can follow. In baptism, we are united with him. We are called to new life, and we are redeemed from our sins. Thanks be to God for such a great gift. Amen.